Welcome back to the Locust Grove Podcast. You are listening to episode four of our series, What It Means to Be a Healthy Church Member. In this episode, we are talking about biblical devotion. As we talk about biblical devotion in this episode, we're talking about it in terms of gospel saturation, what it means and what it looks like for our lives to be totally saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we hope that you enjoy listening. We hope that you'll be challenged and blessed by what you hear. our fourth study in our series, What It Means to Be a Healthy Church Member. To this point, we have considered biblical commitment, we've considered biblical practices of the ordinances, and then we have uh, considered biblical submission to God's Word, which we did uh, two weeks ago now. And in biblical submission to God's Word, we really talked about the skill of expository listening, being able to listen to God's Word in an expository manner and the benefit of of the expository preaching of God's Word. So tonight we are moving on to this uh, fourth phase or this fourth section of this 10-part study and we are considering biblical devotion, biblical devotion. So just to be very clear, a healthy church member is one who practices healthy devotion. Now, most of the time, I think we view biblical devotion in the context of personal Bible study. When you hear that biblical devotion, your mind probably immediately goes to your personal Bible study, that Bible study that you do um, in your private prayer closet. Now, to be clear... Uh, Personal and consistent Bible study is an indispensable part of biblical devotion. You cannot consider yourself a biblically devoted Christian if you aren't doing personal devotions and doing those consistently. It is an indispensable part of biblical devotion. However, I would submit to you tonight that biblical devotion is more than just a consistent private study. It is having a consistent private study, but biblical devotion is even more than that. Tonight, I actually want to talk about biblical devotion in terms of gospel saturation. So we're talking about biblical devotion in terms of gospel saturation. Um, That is what it means to be a gospel-saturated church member. Now, Hopefully we can all agree and probably especially agree tonight in light of the prayer request we had about what's going on in public school systems that um, the greatest need in the world today is the gospel. That is the most desperate need in the world today. And really that's not changed, right? It's always been the greatest need of the world ever since uh, Adam and Eve were disobedient in the Garden of Eden. Our most desperate need has been the hope of God that has been fully and finally delivered to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's always been the greatest need of the world, and nothing has changed today. It is as obvious as ever. It's the greatest need in the world because men, women, and children all alike are perishing without the vital knowledge of God through the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the reason that 
Things like vacation Bible school are so important. It gives us an opportunity to have an influence in the community. It gives us an opportunity to speak the gospel into the lives of young people in our community. But it's also the reason why I spend so much time talking about each one of us being equipped and capable to be a disciple that makes disciples. Because all of us should be taking this gospel into the community because all of us spend time in a community that is filled with men and women and children that will perish without the hope of the gospel if someone doesn't take it to them. Now, I don't think that this conversation just stops or stops with the gospel just being the world's greatest need. I would also argue to you tonight that um, the greatest need in the church today is the gospel. Yes, it's the greatest need in the world, but I think it's also the greatest need in the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is not only good news for a perishing world. It is certainly good news for a perishing world, but it is the message that forms, that sustains, and that ultimately animates the church. It's what gives us life. It's what calls us to action. It's what gives us direction. It's what gives us purpose. We derive the truth that we live and act upon from the gospel. And so it's the church's greatest need as well. You see, apart from the gospel, let's just be honest, the church has nothing to say, right? If we don't have the gospel of Jesus, we don't have anything to say. At least we don't have anything to say that any other public agency couldn't say. The gospel is what makes the church unique. The gospel is what sets the, the church apart from the world, apart from every other human agency. In fact, we understand in the gospel that the church isn't just a human agency. It is the body is made up of humans, but this is this is the church is God's agency, right? It is it is a living, breathing organism, and, and the head of the church is Christ. And so it's much more than a human agency, but what makes it much more is the gospel. Like I say, the gospel distinguishes the church from the world. It defines our message. It, it forms our mission to the world. It protects the people in the church against the fiery darts of the enemy and the false illusions of sin. Uh, the best way to protect your children against the things we were talking about in the public school system is to make sure that your children have the gospel. Make sure that they go to school with the gospel. Make sure that everything they see, everything they hear, everything they do, everything they say is filtered through the gospel. The gospel is absolutely vital to a vibrant, joyous, uh, preserving, uh, persevering, hopeful, and healthy Christian life and a Christian church. It's so important, in fact, that we need to be saturated in this gospel in order to be healthy church members. So I want to talk about tonight what that looks like to be saturated by this gospel and hopefully challenge each one of us, myself included, to become even more saturated by this gospel. We may have walked in thinking, yes, my life is pretty saturated by the gospel, but I pray that God would open our eyes to areas of our life that could use more gospel saturation. Habakkuk 2.14 speaks of a day <clears throat> excuse me, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And what Habakkuk says is he says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be as the waters cover the sea. Now you think about that. 
the knowledge of the glory of the Lord being just as the waters cover the sea. Now, the waters covering the sea is pretty saturated, right? We would consider the sea to be a fairly, um, a fairly saturated entity. But later on, Jesus promised in John 7, 38, that whoever believes in me, as the scripture had said, he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you think about that. Rivers of living water. Excuse me. If there are going to be rivers of living water flowing out of our heart, our heart is going to have to be saturated in living water. And I think one of the problems that we run into in modern modern Christianity, in Americanized Christianity, is we have this mindset that we only need to consume enough of the living water for ourselves, right? The gospel goes to the ends of the earth until it gets to me, and then I guess it ends with me, right? And so we're just concerned with making sure we have enough for ourselves, but Jesus is teaching a heart saturation that overflows, where the living waters have transformed our heart, saturated our heart so much that these living waters flow from our heart into the world. You know, we, we would obviously all acknowledge the need, we already have acknowledged the need for our world to be saturated by the gospel. We long for that. We, we pray to that end as a church. But I would submit to you tonight that global saturation with the gospel starts with personal gospel saturation. It starts with a life that is filled with Jesus. So, how do we immerse ourselves in this gospel? This is the question that we will answer tonight. I believe that there are six ways that we can immerse ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. The first way is likely the most obvious way. You are going to be really impressed with my insight here. We must know the gospel. We must know the gospel. Now, I realize this seems so obvious that even stating it might feel a little bit silly and you're probably wondering is this really what we pay him for to come up here and tell us that we must know the gospel but in all reality I start to realize the more the more Christians that I'm around the more churches that I'm around and get to know um, and, and 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 sort of sort of deal with and work with and these sorts of things there are so many professing and believing um, Christians that, that just possess a really shallow understanding of the gospel. They, they understand the gospel, don't get me wrong, but it's just a very surface level understanding of the gospel. And likely, even though they've been in church for years, really the only understanding they've ever gotten of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is at the end of the sermon when a preacher sort of tacks on a four or five minute gospel presentation that's as deep as they've ever gone that's as that's as deep as their understanding of the gospel has has really ever been has ever been driven but then there's others who know the message of of Christ and they find themselves even though they know it they understand it they maybe even have more than this surface level understanding they they just find themselves feeling awkward feeling incapable of sharing the good news that they have received clearly with friends and family. 
And so there's just this need for a deeper understanding of the gospel. Some have a surface level understanding. Some have a little bit deeper understanding, but just feel really inadequate in being able to share that good news with someone else. And so as a result, I believe that it's necessary for us to be sure that we know the gospel. But let me qualify that by saying that we know the gospel with depth and clarity. You see, the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ are far deeper than our human minds could ever comprehend. And so what that tells me is as long as I have breath in my lungs, my understanding of the gospel should be getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. As faithful biblical church members, as biblically devoted church members, um, let's illustrate it this way, we can't settle to splash around in the kiddie pool of the gospel our entire lives. People, people get saved in the kiddie pool, right? They're introduced to the gospel. They give their life to Jesus and the gospel. But then Jesus is still calling us and God is still transforming us into a, life, into a life that sends us into the deep waters of the gospel so that we are effective gospel witnesses in the community. Now, allow me to take just a moment here to sort of rule out some ideas that are frequently presented as the gospel. Number one, the gospel is not simply that we are okay, that, that humans are okay, that God is love, and that Jesus wants to be our friend. A lot of times the gospel is sort of, I, I would say, dumbed down and simplified to say that we're okay, that God is love, and that Jesus wants to be our friend. It's not that. The gospel is not simply a moral code of right living. I would also say the gospel is not simply that all of our problems will be fixed if we follow Jesus or that God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. So none of those three things are the gospel. Now, all of those ideas may have some sense of truth to them. God is love, sure. Um, Jesus is our friend, Sure, um, there is a moral code and a call to right living in the gospel, absolutely. Um, there, is a, there is an aspect of blessing that Christians do receive in this life. But none of those things by themselves adequately describe the gospel. And even I would say when we combine all three of them together, they still come up short in adequately describing the gospel. So they all may be true in some sense, but only in a partial sense, and they're never solely sufficient. They're never a solely sufficient statement on what the gospel is. Now, as I said on Sunday morning at our Easter service, the gospel of Jesus Christ is quite literally good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. As news, it contains statements of fact, and then Truth that is derived and delivered from those facts. As good news, the gospel holds out hope, right? Based upon the promises of God and grounded in the historical facts and the historical truths that sort of vindicate the promises that God has made. So now, allow me to try to give you as clear and concise a definition of the gospel as I think is possible. If you've got a handout tonight, there's no blanks on there, but that little paragraph there is, is sort of this written out, what I think is probably as concisely and accurately as we can define the gospel. The gospel says that God the Father, who is holy and righteous in all His ways, is angry with sinners. 
and will punish sin. Man, who disobeys the rule of God, is alienated from the love of God and is in danger of an eternal and agonizing condemnation at the hand of God. But God, my favorite words in all the gospel, but God, who is also rich in mercy, because of his great love, sent his eternal son, born by the Virgin Mary, to die as a ransom and a substitute for the sins of rebellious people. And now through the perfect obedience of the Son of God and His willing death on the cross as payment for our sins, all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ, following Him as Lord, will be saved from the wrath of God to come, be declared just in His sight, have eternal life, and receive the Spirit of God as a foretaste of the glories of heaven with God Himself. Now, I know it's still a little bit of a lengthy definition, but I still really feel like that is as concise and accurate as we could possibly define the gospel tonight. So when we're talking about gospel saturation, we're talking about being saturated in this gospel. You see, this is the message that we must abide in and that we must delight in if we're going to be healthy church members. Now, the second thing that we must do if we want to become gospel-saturated is we must desire to hear the gospel, very important now, and preach the gospel to ourselves. We must desire to hear the gospel and preach the gospel to ourselves. We must cultivate and protect a a desire for this gospel message, for God's word. We've We've got to commit to regularly hearing the gospel preached, regularly hearing God's word taught, we've got to be ready and willing to plumb the depths of the gospel, right? We've got to, we've got to long to increase our knowledge of the message of the gospel, right? Because then that increase, increases our affection for the Savior and, and our skill in and, and, and sharing this gospel message. Let me, just, let me just be very frank with you. I, I don't feel like I'm doing my job as pastor if I ever stand up here and preach and you walk away unchallenged, right? Do I have a responsibility to present the gospel that, uh, that, that the lost might be saved? Absolutely, I have that responsibility every time I stand to teach or preach. But I also have the responsibility to challenge the believers to dive deeper, right? To to cause you to, to think and long and yearn for more knowledge. And so if you walk away on a Sunday morning and say, boy, that was a good message, but I already knew everything he said. I've probably not done a very good job. And frankly, if in the study through the week while I'm preparing the message, if I get up to stand and preach on Sunday and say, well, I already knew everything that, I, that there was to say about this passage before I started studying it. I've probably not studied the passage enough, right? As I study the passage, as I prepare to preach the passage, I should be longing and yearning for a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship with Jesus just as through the hearing of the preaching of God's Word. You should be longing for a deeper understanding. And that's another challenge that we face in Americanized Christianity. You can hear all kinds of preaching through all kinds of different avenues, right? I mean, now, especially where every church is online, you can hear literally hundreds of messages every week. And the problem is we have too many Christians that are just longing to hear messages that make them feel good, right? Make them feel okay about their lifestyle or about their choices or about their commitment level to the church but but true biblically devoted church members long to be challenged by God's word long to dive deeper 
in to God's word. Now, this means that we should listen actively for the gospel and and the implications of the gospel in sermons. Right? We can't we can't be guilty of turning off our ears when the preacher begins his appeal to non-Christians. Right. Just because we've been saved for decades or for years, whenever a preacher starts appealing to non-Christians that might be in the congregation, we can't just shut him off and say, okay, I, I can tune out now. My, my part of the sermon is over. All of the notes that I need have already been taken. That's not good for us. That's not healthy for us in our growth. We need to strive to listen to the gospel every time it's presented afresh. Every time you hear the gospel being presented, if you're, in, if you're in small groups and you're going through three circles and someone's presenting the gospel, someone's working, sharing their testimony through the three circles or through 15 second testimony, whatever they're doing, you should strive to listen to that afresh and say, God, as I hear this gospel again, may it just fall fresh on my heart. May it give me a new energy. May it give me a new drive, a, 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 fresh, a fresh passion for your word and for the things of your word. We should seek to have that gospel presentation reaffirm our belief in its truth and its promises and its power in our lives. Also, when we hear the gospel proclaimed, we should be able to sort of appropriate it for any sins that we become conscious of during the sermon as the Holy Spirit is leading us in self-examination, right? And so as as God is making us aware of the sins in our lives that need to be dealt with, and we hear the gospel presented, we need to be able to take that and see it applied to our lives so that our lives will be transformed through its power. And what that simply means is that we are constantly, as Christians, seeing our sins nailed to the cross as we hear the good news of Jesus. It means we are considering whether there are any new promises or aspects of the gospel Um, that we have yet to learn that are being included in the sermon. It causes us to really ask the question, how how will we hold on to these truths that are being taught in this sermon? How will we see these truths applied to our lives? We should listen so actively and longingly for this good news that we really begin to feel sort of a a poverty or a malnourishment when it's missing in a sermon, right? When, When the gospel isn't clear in a sermon, you should be able to sense that, right? You should feel a hunger for that. Now, hopefully that would never happen here, but if if the gospel is ever absent from one of my sermons, the first thing you need to do is come up here and knock me on the back of the head. And the second thing you need to do is as you leave, realize that there is an emptiness in you because, because you miss that. You long for the clarity of the gospel to be proclaimed. I would, I would frame the gospel this way that I think is just sort of a helpful way to think about it as it should apply to our lives daily. The gospel is a message that comes to you, for you. The gospel is a message that comes to you, for you. The gospel was sent to us by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel was sent to you. You didn't go hunt the gospel. The gospel was sent to us. There was nothing we could do to accomplish the gospel. It was God's work, and so it was sent to us for us, for our benefit, for our growth, for our maturity. And so I would just say to you tonight, own the gospel of Jesus Christ. Own it. 
rather than than merely listening to others or listening to that voice that sort of plagues you with doubt and with worries and with fears, um, that, that voice that just seems to be playing on repeat in our mind that discourages us, that, that causes us to, to concern, have concern or whatever the case may be. And listen to the voice of God in the gospel. And the best way to do that is being able to proclaim the gospel to yourself when the need arises. So I'm suggesting to you tonight that you memorize the gospel, that you pray the gospel, that you sing the gospel, that you review how the gospel has changed you, and of course that you study the gospel. All of these things are a part of biblical devotion. Consume everything you do with the gospel. I, I try my very best to make a habit of doing all those things every day. Yes, even singing the gospel when I know it's safe and no one else is around. Because that would not be an effective gospel witness, me singing. But it's good for us to sing the gospel. It's good for us to pray the gospel. It equips us to preach this gospel to ourselves. Third, we must take the gospel to its conclusion. We must take the gospel to its conclusion. Listen, as you reflect on the events and promises of the gospel, I would encourage you to press forward to the conclusion of the gospel. John Piper reminds us that God is the gospel, that the gospel is a message about God giving himself to us in love. Piper writes this, Until the gospel events of Good Friday and Easter and the gospel promises of justification and eternal life lead you to behold and embrace God himself, as your highest joy, you have not embraced the gospel of God. You might have embraced some of his gifts. You have rejoiced over some of his rewards. You have marveled at some of his miracles. But you have not been awakened to why the gifts, the rewards, and the miracles have come. They have come for one great reason. That you might behold forever the glory of God in Christ. And by beholding become the kind of person who delights in God above all things, and by delighting display His supreme beauty and worth with ever-increasing brightness and bliss forever. And so we must take the gospel to its conclusion. We talked about that on Sunday morning. We actually started at the end, right? The gospel ends with God. God is the gospel. If you follow the gospel to its conclusion, it ends in God's glorious presence. Fourth, we must order our lives around the gospel. We must order our lives around the gospel. Listen, as church members, our aim is to understand the gospel so deeply, so intimately, that it animates, that it gives life, that it calls to action every area of our lives. Right? We want the gospel to be central in our communication with others, central to how we, <clears throat> excuse me, we encourage others, Central to our individual careers and ambitions, our relationship decisions. Central to the decisions, of course, that the church makes corporately. Uh, essentially central to all the habits of life. Simply put, we want the gospel, the God of the gospel, to take priority in every single area of our life. You see, gospel-saturated church members should consider any number of strategies for organizing our lives around the good news of Jesus. Right? We should be making it a point to build relationships with employees at businesses we frequent. As a matter of fact, one of the B stores that I frequent, I am 
working on building a relationship with one of the employees there. He's on my Oikos map now. If you're in a small group and you know the prayer strategy, you know that. He's in the Oikos. He's in my Oikos map now. I've had a couple gospel conversations with him. He's becoming increasingly open to the gospel. He's becoming increasingly more responsive to the gospel. And so my prayer is that that would just continue. But it takes being intentional to build a relationship with an employee at a business I frequent. Right? That's what it begins to look like when, when the gospel starts to consume our lives. We should be looking for opportunities to volunteer in community organizations and invite neighbors into our homes, join uh, local clubs, whether it's golf clubs or Lions Club or whatever the case may be. And then, of course, we need to be inviting people to church. So... This really leads to the fifth thing that we must do in order to be gospel-saturated, and that is we must share the gospel with others. I mentioned this already, but it sometimes appears to me as though some Christians believe the gospel was meant to be preached widely until it reached them, and then it needs to be stored safely in the vault of their personal history. It needs to be stored away from everyone else. We talk boldly about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, but the gospel has ended with us because we have been unwilling to take it to the ends of the earth ourselves. I think many Christians are often guilty of supposing that just living a good Christian life is an effective witness and is doing evangelism. Right? You've, I don't know where the quote originated from. I know that it's been appropriated to many um, different theologians very wrongly, but you've heard, uh, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary use words, right? I might have talked about this before. Let me just tell you tonight, it is necessary to use words, okay? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How will they believe if they do not have someone to preach this gospel to them? It requires words. Now, if your actions don't back up your words, your words will be empty and vain, and so it does require right living, but I would challenge you to consider whether or not right living is a sufficient form of doing evangelism. Now, no doubt, living a Christian life is, is a witness of sorts. But let me ask you, is it a witness, an effective witness, an efficient witness to the cross of Jesus Christ? Does witnessing through our personal obedience and through our good deeds point effectively enough to the cross of our Savior? Here's what I think happens. When someone sees your good deeds, when someone sees your Christian living, they might know that something's different. But if we don't tell them about Jesus, they're going to be left to the assumption that the only thing that's different about you is your obedience to a religion. Right? There are all kinds of people that are very obedient to a religion, that live much different than the rest of the world. Muslims live much different than the rest of the world. They're very obedient to their religion. You can look at a Muslim and know that there's something different about a Muslim than there is about the rest of the world. But it doesn't mean that they have Jesus. In fact, they don't have Jesus. Again, the thing that sets the church apart is the gospel of Christ. There are plenty of people that live good ethical lives. 
And the people that don't live good ethical lives may look at the person living a good ethical life and say, oh, well, yeah, that's good. They're religious. Christians aren't to be religious. Christians are to be in a relationship, right? Christianity isn't a religion. It is a relationship with Christ. And that is a relationship that the gospel has called us, excuse us, called us and, and bestowed upon us to proclaim with our words. And so I think in too many cases we leave people in a position where they only have this vague impression of some type of religiosity and we don't leave them with a brilliant display of the glories of God in the redemption of sinners and the sacrifice of God's Son. And so if we want to contribute to the health of our local congregations, we must be committed not only to the harvesting of the gospel for ourselves, Right, you, you want to harvest the gospel for yourself every time it is preached, but we also want to ship that gospel out. We want to have those rivers of living water flowing from our hearts. You see, you really have an opportunity. Every church member, every biblically devoted church member has an opportunity to build off of the work of the preaching ministry of the church. Everyone has an opportunity to build off of the seeds that are planted, off of the soil that is watered through the preaching ministry. Just as the preaching ministry plants seeds and waters seeds, so should each one of us be engaged in planting and watering seeds throughout the week. Very simply, everyone can greet and talk with visitors, the people that you might invite that are non-Christians, the family and friends that you might invite. We should be ready when they do show up to discuss spiritual things when they when they visit right we need to be ready to talk about their understanding and their acceptance of or their rejection of the good news and so we can also meet together with other christians we do this in small groups actually right now to specifically plan and pray for evangelistic opportunities i would also submit to you tonight that when our life becomes this saturated with the gospel, a gospel-saturated life is a life that splashes out onto others with the good news. Our life becomes so saturated, it just splashes out onto those people in our families, in our circles of influence. You see, a healthy church is built on healthy, gospel-motivated members. Finally, we saturate ourselves in the gospel by guarding the gospel. We must guard the gospel. You see, a healthy church member will take seriously the responsibility of guarding the gospel from corruption, guarding the gospel from abandonment. The New Testament seems to place this responsibility, interestingly, ultimately on the congregation rather than on the pastors alone. Now, the pastors and elders have a responsibility, certainly, to teach the gospel and to guard the gospel. But you notice something happened, especially in Paul's letters to the churches. Whenever there is heresy uh, abreast in the community, Paul is writing to the churches, right? We're seeing that right now as we study the book of Colossians. There's heresy. Paul is wanting the church to make sure it guards the gospel against this heresy. And who's he, who is he writing to? He's writing to the whole church, right? He's writing to the church members. As a matter of fact, the church leaders are the ones that came to visit him in prison. And so he's writing this letter back to the church members. And so we all collectively have this responsibility to guard 
the gospel. When the churches at Galatia were unsettled by false teachers who were trying to add circumcision to the message of the gospel, to the demands of the gospel, Paul wrote, again, not to the pastors and the elders, but to the churches themselves. He addressed the membership and called them to guard the gospel that he had preached to them. His, this was his instruction. It's so strong in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But though, excuse me, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. Listen, all Christians should be careful in what they entertain and what sort of gospel preaching they allow themselves to hear. The Apostle John warned his readers that if anyone comes to them, uh, comes to you and does not bring the sound teaching that he had brought to them, that the other apostles had brought to them, he said, don't receive them. Don't receive them into your house. Don't give them any sort of greeting. And actually, he goes as far to say, as any one of you that does greet these false teachers takes part in their wicked work. And so guarding the gospel is serious business. Peter reminds his readers that those who follow the shameful ways of false teachers cause the way of the truth to be blasphemed. So it's understandable that at the end of Jude, he exhorts his audience to contend for the faith, right? That's what Jude says, to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Guarding the gospel is serious business. You see, the healthy church and church member fight for and protect the apostolic gospel delivered and preserved in the pages of Scripture. When we don't accept the responsibilities, when we are not vigilant and understanding and applying the gospel, we leave it open to be corrupted, to be abused, and to be abandoned by false teachers and to the forces of Satan. You see, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God offers himself for sinners and to sinners. It's the gospel that makes us aware of the love of God. It's the gospel that makes us aware of our depravity and need for redemption. It's the gospel that makes us aware of the possibility for our eternal joy through worshiping God. And it is the same gospel and a healthy understanding that creates healthy and strong church members and a healthy and a strong Christian church. And so my prayer is that we would be saturated in this gospel. Thank you for listening to the Locust Grove podcast. We want to remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast so that you will be notified anytime we post a new episode. We pray that you have been encouraged and challenged by what you have heard in today's episode, and we look forward to joining with you again next week.